Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 150, You've Lost Perspective. This week, we're discussing season one, episode five of Battlestar Galactica, You Can't Go Home Again, as well as the broader themes and character development of season two of Angel. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Battlestar Galactica. Can't go home again. <laughs> you can't. You cannot. I'm sorry, but you can't. It's impossible. Um, all right. So speaking of which, that's the title of a 1940 novel that you were going to talk about a little bit, I think, right? It is. I mean, I don't want to talk too much because neither of us have read it. So that would be kind of silly to try to like draw <laughs> and, really detailed comparisons and illusions. <laughs> uh, I mean, we wouldn't be the first critics ever to talk about a book that they hadn't read. Not but... that that should stop us. but yeah, Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, try to be a little more uh, professional than that. Um, yeah. Like, so... I, it, it's an allusion to a 1940 novel by Thomas Wolfe um, that also has that title. Um, so uh, just in kind of looking it up, it seems as though uh, there might be some specific connections to this episode, but it seems like there are some ideas that are important to sort of Battlestar overall. So I kind of wonder how much that would have been in their minds as kind of like an ongoing uh, text to be alluding to. Um but this sort of idea of, you know, home as the, you know, that nostalgic idea of the past being something that is unrecoverable. Um, and that even if you go home, um, you know, physically or return to something, you know, uh, just by the very nature of the passage of time, you can't ever reclaim, you know, the way something used to be. And that that being kind of a sad and bitter thought but also um that being something that motivates you to sort of spread out into to claim your future and sort of a new home I guess um which is kind of what the quotes that I was reading seem to be getting at which seems to me very uh you know very much what the show is sort of doing as well um so you know some things to think about I think when you have like you know, the Adamas sort of still coming to terms with the loss of Zach and how to deal with that and everybody dealing with the loss of their home worlds and their families and everything. And this push towards, you know, colonizing this unknowable future that we're sort of, you know, it's sort of like trying to make uh, lemonade out of some lemons, like, well, home is destroyed, but trying to turn that into something positive, that it's something we can strive for rather than just be totally depressed about it. Um, so it seems like, you know, there's definitely some links there. But again, having not read it, I didn't want to spend too much time on it. Um, I also did also want to point out uh, the writer, Carla Robinson, who I mentioned last time, um, that she and the writers of part one had this Nebula nomination. Um, and so she actually writes three, three episodes across the first two seasons uh, and is also like a staff writer and story editor. But it's weird, on IMDb, she really doesn't have any other credits, um, like for any, 
anything. Um, there's like one other, like, it seems like a, like a cartoon show, like for children that she worked on. But other than that, either before or since, I don't see anything. So it seems like maybe she moved on to other things, uh, or I don't know what that means. Um, sure. Cause IMDB is usually pretty comprehensive. So, uh, anyway, um, Kind of interesting, you know, obviously she wrote at least one episode that was success, very successful, you know, and got an award nomination. So, um, you know, not much to say about that, not knowing the circumstances, but uh, just wanted to bring it up. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I just tried searching for her, but clearly there's a different Carla Robinson out there. So, <laughs> uh, un- unless she happens to be the same one who was a, a news anchor for this CBC. Um, well, yeah. it could be. I mean, CBC, that's Canada. That is Canada. That's true. You know, um, um, I don't know. It, Carla it Robinson, men- if you're listening, drop us a line. Let us, <laughs> let us know It doesn't you're mention okay. anything about her BSG writing, though, on right, this particular right. page. So um, anyway, yeah, uh, neither here nor there. No. I probably that's research I should have done prior to starting the episode. Uh, um, yeah, me too. Anyway. Anyway. So, so <laughs> uh that is weird, though, because you're right. Like, it, it seems like, especially given the quality of this episode, I mean, the yeah. fact that it was nominated for a Nebula, you know, <clears throat> with its companion episode, like, that she would not have gone on to do something else there, so. Yeah, and um, I feel like most of the times, if writers don't stay for the whole show, it's because maybe they got a gig somewhere else, and, you know, they moved on to wherever, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway... Um, what did you want to talk about first with the episode itself? Yeah, so sort of continuing our theme of, you know, each episode engaging in various conflicts <laughs> between people. Um, we, you know, we recently talked about like Starbuck versus everybody. Yeah. This episode is sort of the flip side of that, where it's the the Adamas versus everybody. Yeah, um, Lee and and Admiral. Yeah. Well, William, there. I'm going to remember his first name one of these days. Uh, and he's not Bill, Admiral yet. Bill Adama. Well, you know, I mean, he kind of is because he's took over the fleet. You know what I mean? Sure. sure. I, I know. I know officially, like he hasn't taken on that title, but um, commander. Commander. Well, uh, and even that is interesting because before we get into their conflicts with all the other people, it reminds me that I want to mention too that that's a reversal in a way because previously we've had Adama versus Adama, you know, like them blaming, sure. blaming each other, you know, like Lee blaming Adama, his dad over uh, pulling strings for Zach and, you know, uh, Adama, the father criticizing Adama, the son for some of his decisions, like maybe supporting and getting close with president Roslyn or whatever, like they've not necessarily seen eye to eye on a lot of things. Mm. And this seems to be the first time where they're a united front, like as father and son, where like you actually, they're absolutely on the same page. They support each other's decisions and you even get them like deciding to team up against other characters. Like 
like when they know they're going to talk to Rosalind, they kind of like are, look at each other and, and they're both like, all right, we're going to do this, right? Like we're, I'm supporting you and, you know, we're going to take her on. So that's an interesting, before you kind of talked about it, I hadn't really thought of it, but it's true that this show is very much defined by characters being at odds with each other. But it is interesting how much those allegiances change not even season to season, but like episode to episode, you know? Yeah. But in a way that feels like it doesn't feel inconsistent because it's like, it depends on the issue, you know, like they may disagree about a lot of things, but when it comes to how they feel about Starbuck, they are united, you know? So there, there are certain things that can kind of bring them together. Right. Right. Um, so that said, together they are in conflict with everyone else. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, <laughs> really there's sort of like two main conflicts that happened in this episode. Um, what, and, and they're, well, they're kind of both more with the senior Adama, although they're like, it plays out with Lee mm-hmm. a little bit too. Um, in particular Ty. So you have, um, as we noted like last time, where you have Starbuck versus everyone. Ty is sort of the only one who defends her, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it says, "Oh, she's actually teaching these nuggets something." Um, this time, you have him, you know, not really defending Starbuck, but actually looking to call the search off, but not. you know it's interesting because you get like the moment where like lee sort of bursts at him like oh you would like that wouldn't you the you know hothead whatever pilot you know hotshot pilot like who talks back to you and puts you in your place you want to leave her behind but like actually ty is much more reasonable than they're giving him credit here for being like he's actually the one who's not per- putting his personal opinions and feelings uh, yeah. ahead of the professionalism, which is not usually the case. Like usually he's perfectly fine putting his own personal feelings at the forefront, but he's the one sort of giving the, the more, um, you know, scientific or, or uh, at least rational uh, mm-hmm. thought behind, you know, abandoning the search. Um, and it doesn't seem to be, you know, because he holds a particular dislike for Starbuck, but but rather the fact that they're using resources and putting putting people at risk that they perhaps shouldn't be um, doing. Yeah, and um, he even says like, uh, she would be the first one to tell you not to do this. Like he kind of yeah assumes or at least presumes that he would be united with Starbuck. Like like if she were here, she would tell you this is like. Uh, you know, an unnecessary risk for the rest of the fleet. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in a way, kind of paying her a compliment of like, she would tell you the same thing as me, which is the the reasonable thing to be saying. Um, So, yeah, I mean, on the Adamas too. Yeah, that is an interesting reversal with Ty because it is usually him letting his personal things get in the way of things. And it's interesting to me that like, you know, that it's the Adamas doing that um, because 
and again, it kind of goes just nobody really points this out in these words, I don't think, but after the last episode, which was all about the conflict of of Starbuck letting personal things get in the way of her professional duties, that's like totally what this episode is about with the Adamas of like them saying, sure. you know, I think maybe Lee maybe tries to justify it a little bit more and wants everyone to believe that like we're actually being reasonable and nobody's been put at risk and this is perfectly like above board and everything. I don't know about Senior Adama. He seems more just like, forget it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, like almost like I, 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 he's almost closer to acknowledging that it's totally unprofessional, but that he just doesn't really care. Um, but it's an interesting echo of the last episode where like, that was the whole critique of Starbuck was you, you let your personal feelings for Zach, you know, cloud your judgment, which is what got people, got him killed. Um, mm -hmm. And here you kind of, that's exactly what Ty is telling the Adamas is you're going to do the exact same thing, except this time it might get the whole fleet or the whole of humanity killed too. Right. Right. And <clears throat> yeah, so um No, that's I hadn't quite thought about it in in the way that you pointed out that like letting, you know, allowing personal issues to you know, cloud your professional work um you know, is basically what this episode is about, you know, versus sort of the chastisement. And I think I think that's interesting because you do get the sense with um, Adama, with the yet-to-be Admiral Adama, um, you do get the sense of like, like he 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 gets that, mm. even though like he doesn't quite put it in those terms. But like, you know, there is that moment where he he says, uh, you know, sometimes you break the rules, mm -hmm. like, like, and. And that it's like he's not like saying that you should, but he is kind of saying that you should. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's it's paradoxical in a way because on the one hand, like of course, as the leader of the military and all of that, like of course he's gonna like support order and whatever. But sometimes you just break the rules, and that it doesn't matter. Uh, what those rules are if you know if it's family if it's you know someone you care about which becomes interesting because then you know you have to ask is that hypocritical like what's you know what is that and if it is hypocritical does he even care like clearly right. he doesn't <laughs> like but if this were anyone else you know right. what would he be saying to them um you know would he be saying exactly the same thing that Ty is saying um and also the acknowledgement like it's funny too because i feel like for as much as uh you know we we titled this episode of our podcast you know you've lost perspective which is what roslyn says to the adamas um and as much as that true that's true in a sense 
I'm not entirely sure that Adama does lose perspective mm -hmm. because I feel like he's one of the things that he consistently does is to be honest with himself. Mm -hmm. And like, like you get the sense that Lee, for whatever reason, like he, I don't, maybe he's not capable or maybe he's just lying to himself or whatever. But like, you know, with the moment of like, where he says, oh, you know, I, I think we have, like, gotten over Zach's death yeah. and whatever. And then I was like, I haven't. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you don't, I don't ever really get the sense that, like, Adama hasn't thought critically about all this. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't like, like, for Lee, it, there's definitely getting lost in the passion of finding Starbuck because, you know, he loves her and whatever way their relationship yeah. is you know yeah um but with adama like like even in sort of the throes of passion and anger <laughs> like he's still very sort of like uh uh analytical mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. you know and 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 honest with himself like he he's in touch with his feelings like that it it almost sounds like bizarre to say it that way because mm -hmm. like you usually think of like someone being in touch with their feelings like all you know kind of I don't know new agey and you know whatever right. and Adama that's not seems like so kind Adama. of stoic and like but, rugged and everything but yeah I see what you're saying like, now. yeah you know like he like he he knows how he feels and he knows how to describe how he feels and that's you know all well and proper and good and yeah and well you know I mean good in the sense that like he's not lying to himself about right. how he feels you right. know and so um whereas like yeah again lee's just not either he's unclear or like he doesn't want to admit to himself or something like i'm not entirely sure what what it is but like he just doesn't seem you know on that same level um so yeah, so back to the like the you've lost perspective thing. Like I, I feel like because of all that, like Adama, I'm I'm not sure that that's entirely true about Adama. Like I don't know that he has lost perspective, um, at least not completely. And so, uh, I don't know. It just it seems like that his, you know, even sort of you know again in in his passionate search, like there's still that like like it's not just like. I'm going beyond the rules and I can't help myself. You mm -hmm. know, I have to do it. It's like, he could totally help himself. He could totally stop and mm -hmm. give up that search, but he's not going to, he's making an active decision to continue that search and to continue to the point where he's putting other people in danger. Um, which reminds me too of the conversation with Roslyn and, and Baltar, mm. because, you know, Baltar is like, you know, I forget exactly what it is he says, but, you know, basically when he is reminding her, like, you know, what about all the women and the children and, and, and the men too, I guess, you know, um, but really what about all the women who are being put in danger of <laughs> Adama's actions here? Yeah. And, and Rosalind says, well, you know, I'm sure Adama has considered, you know, all of these things. And I think on the one sense throughout the episode, you're kind of, you're kind of, ha you're kind of having to wonder like, well, did he really, is he really considering all those people? Mm -hmm. And I kind of think the answer is yes, mm -hmm. that he has and is deciding to put them all in danger anyway. Sure. And so, you know, then the question, if that's true, if my assessment there is right, yeah. 
the question becomes, does that make him more monstrous than like anyone right. else? Right. No, <laughs> you know? I think it's like a really complicated, like we're back to that, the, the theme that uh, in her uh, critique, Mo Ryan said was like the central theme of the series, which is you have like, you know, contradictory and equally awful choices, which do you choose? And so there's a sense of like, he can't live with himself if he leaves Starbuck behind, but he can't live with himself for, you know, uh, endangering humanity either. And, you know, so at one point he, he starts out leaning more towards one and obviously ends up, you know, I think Rosalind's speech is sufficiently guilt inducing to cause him to give up the search at the end. But I, I agree with you. Like, I'm not sure that that means that he hasn't, just because he changes his mind doesn't mean he hasn't weighed those options already. Um, yeah. And I totally get the idea that like, that's all the Adama stuff, all the dialogue from him is about like, I know what you're saying, but I, I'm not going to do it. Like, it's always like when he yells at Ty, it's just like, no, like I know all the things you're saying and that's, you know, or he relieves Ty just so he doesn't have to hear him contradict him anymore. It's just like, get off the bridge. Um, or like it's saying like, you know, frack the odds. We're going to, you know, find her anyway, kind of stuff. Um, right. Whereas like, I get the sense with Lee where, yeah, he, he more wants to justify this decision as the right one as like, I can, I, these don't have to be mutually exclusive things. I can, I can save Starbuck without endangering the fleet and and everyone will be happy because that's the best thing. Like, I think Lee Moore wants to, he's less comfortable with just doing what he wants with breaking those rules. And so maybe he wants to sort of deny to himself that he is breaking those rules. Um, you know, and I think like, that's kind of why he is like turning it around on Ty, like as if Ty's being the unreasonable one. And it's like, well, he's not, but that makes Lee feel better about it. If he can write this off as like Ty being wanting to leave Starbuck behind, um, you know, it makes it easier to dismiss him if he can mm -hmm. kind of like pin it on that. Um, or he can try to convince Roslyn that, you know, I have a plan for how we're going to cover us. If we get spotted, nobody's been jeopardized, you know, don't worry about it. We haven't really broken any rules anyway, so you don't have to get angry at us or anything. Um, mm. And yeah, again, is that good or bad? Because on, on the one hand, it's sort of maybe more dishonest than Adama is, but also, like you said, at least Lee is actually concerned with doing the right thing by everybody. However, he might fool himself into thinking he's doing that. Whereas Adama is a little bit happier to sort of not happy, but um, more willing to, you know, endanger certain lives in preference for other lives. Um, yeah. Which like, and there's interesting stuff in there too about like, Adama's preferences in general like you know you know Lee and talks about like oh I'm close with 
all my pilots and the Dom is close with all. It's like, you get the sense of like, like uh, Rosalind has a sense of like Starbucks, not just any other pilot, you know, she's special mm. to them. So yeah, we don't leave anybody behind except when we do. <laughs> and, you know, who we leave behind kind of depends on who it is, you know, when it's, when it's civilians whose FTL drives aren't working or when it's the Olympic carrier full of civilians, those people get left behind, but we can't leave behind Starbucks. So there is a kind of sense of like favoritism, I think with, you know, the Adamas or at least, you know, Adama senior a little bit. Um, But then on the other hand, I think you can't help but root for them to find her. You know, it's hard not to get behind. Sure. It's hard not to get behind, like, like, I think if they just cut and run and didn't search, it would be easy to kind of call them monstrous for that, too. So it's very hard to sort of figure out exactly where the appropriate level of, like, action is here. Um, Sure. Yeah. Like, how long is long enough for searching, you know? (laughs) Right. Especially when you're bringing it to the point of absurdity where like you're hours past the last possible molecule of oxygen that could be left, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're basing your entire search on the possibility that this one time, you know, like Ty says, like this one time she just happened to like grab an extra tank of oxygen, like, like implying that that's not standard protocol. And even if it was the likelihood of Starbuck doing it is, ridiculous because she's a maverick who doesn't even follow the rules anyway so um but there's also that that fact that she does survive Mm -hmm. and that so you know so this is the question so talking about um you know starbuck being special like Yes, she's special to the Adamas, like clearly, mm-hmm. you know, because of the relationship and stuff like that. But she also has a uh, uh, reputation or whatever of being the best pilot and soldier, and like because she and like not just the best pilot insofar as like yes, she was a trainer and she can fly better than everyone and whatever, but also like. Remember, she get she goes along with the Marines because she's the best shot. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's clearly like a Jane of all trades. What what's sure. the you know gender female version yeah. of you know Jack of all trades? But um, the, you know, like she clearly has like skills even beyond just sort of normal pilot skills. Like mm-hmm. she's a survivor, and it turns out she actually is (laughs) you know like like you know it's like all of their so one other thing that i would want to point out maybe maybe we should well we'll hold that till later so all of their you know sort of like searching and waiting around and waiting around and waiting around ultimately results in a successful search like had they had they stopped any like even a minute sooner Mm -hmm they would not have seen her. Like mm-hmm. they were already in the countdown to jump. Right. You know, when she, you know, when, 
this her Cylon ship appeared on Dreadus, and they didn't even know that it was a Cylon ship. And by the way, why did they even really need to stick around once they saw that Cylon ship? Well, they say something about how it'll be on them before they could jump. So I guess it could like it could damage their ships before like maybe they it had, had nuclear time. weapons. Or yeah, something. like it, it maybe would have had time to attack them before they could get the fleet away or something. Fair, fair enough. I, they do. Enough. They do make some. Uh, reference to that, I think. Sure, I I was just thinking like it's one little Cylon Raider. Like they right. could have just jumped and it wouldn't have been able to track them. Right, right. But, you know, whatever. Um, but that's fine. I mean, yeah. So for whatever reason, they need to destroy it first and all of that. And so like all of these like little little delays and like pushing, you know, of many envelopes. Mm-hmm. Like you know, just until. Oh, it suddenly happens that Starbuck comes back. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, right. Um, so does that? But again, it's I don't. We have one one or two more things to say before we get more into like Starbucks plotline itself. But it, it's hard to say. Like it, it is kind of all. What they really gave her was time is what I'm trying to say. Really, everything she yeah. did, like, they didn't ever find her. Nothing they did actually, like... So it's hard to say, like, to what extent is that justified in retrospect? You know, um, like, it was a successful... It wasn't exactly a successful rescue mission, but retrospectively, in having waited and taken the time to not assume that she had died, paid off. And so... Yeah it it had a successful outcome so there's a kind of implicit vindication of their of their point of view i think um you know in the fact that it all sort of ended well whereas if the silence had showed up while they're scattered halfway across you know around this moon or whatever and killed everybody that could just as easily have happened and have had a very different you know outcome in terms of like how we would feel about it so especially considering the reason that they're in this predicament (laughs) is because they did run into a cylon right right or whatever right right um yeah yeah um so well okay so one of the things that i was gonna you know like you said like they gave her time Mm -hmm. um we talked about uh in like the first episode or whatever, maybe it was even in the miniseries. I can't remember now. It wasn't that long ago. I should be able to remember this. Um, we talked about how four weeks ago we talked about no <laughs> with with uh, <laughs> with the STL drive and stuff. How much like pomp and circumstance mm. there was around it, and then how oh, I think it was in the miniseries, and then how like starting with episode one, it's yeah. like that all just goes away until this episode. Like suddenly we're back to the countdown and like prepare your engines (laughs) and like, you know, and so again, like, does this become like, uh, you know, is this like Adama just like stalling for another like 30 seconds? Like, like maybe if I just wait, but again, like to your point, like there is a sort of an ends justifies the mean, you know, the means thing going on here because he does stall and she shows up and so it's hard to like say like 
you know, right. It's again, hard to it's, say he was wrong to do that. Yeah. It's, and, and it's not even to say that, like, maybe they don't go through that FTL countdown every time. We just don't see it. So it feels like sure they've, you know, streamlined the process somewhat. Right, um, right. You know, but maybe it, maybe they do still go through it every time and we just don't see it. But, it you know, it's enough of a, it. They make it enough of a point here to show us that. Mm-hmm. That it seems like it could be him, like, you know, dragging his feet. Especially since, like, Roslyn decides to stay. He's like, no, I, I want to see how the professionals do it. He's like, all right, then I'm going to do, like, every, like, check and balance and, like, cross every T and dot every I, I that I can. I do enjoy how passive-aggressive Roslyn is in this episode. Of, like, how she keeps calling, like, kind of hoping something, like... I called to like give you my condolences because I'm kind of wanting you to like decide to move on from this, you know, or, you know, or like you do get the idea of like, I'm going to hang around and watch you do the FTL because I don't trust that if I leave, you'll actually do it. (laughs) Right, right. You know, like you might change your mind again. So I'm just going to like hang here and like make sure that like you actually go through with this plan. Um, Yeah. Um, well, we also wanted to, like, say, because I think this has some future repercussions, too, like, in the ongoing question of, like, failing technology and resources and everything. Um, you know, you also get, I think, with Ty and Roslyn, you have enough authority for them to actually, like, talk back to Adama and tell them what, tell him what they think about things. Whereas you have the kind of lower subordinates who don't necessarily have the authority to do that, but you still get like resistance just in terms of like how far they actually can make their resources push. So, you know, you have um, Tyrrell down in the hangar deck, who's kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, giving some, pushback to Lee about uh, how much they can put the Vipers through and how I don't just have like an endless supply of working ships here. Like if you break my ships, I have to fix them, you know, and the stuff that you're flying through is messing them up. And, you know, and uh, a really interesting line that struck me this time um, is his line about, uh, you can push people a hell of a lot further than you can push machines, which is like in a show about people and machines, that seems like a conspicuous line. And it's interesting to me because it seems like the opposite of what you would think. Like normally you think of people as, you know, mortal and fallible and, you know, uh, limited and all these things. And like machines as these like, uh, you know, perpetual immortal you know, just Easter, or you know, the Energizer Bunny type things that they just they can just go forever depending on how they work. Whereas, like Tyrrell kind of flips that and is actually saying, "Well, machines are very logical, and if you push them in a certain way or you break them, they're going to stop working." Whereas people apparently can keep going, maybe even if you break them, or you know, they can they're maybe more flexible in what they can stand. Um, so that just struck me as interesting because I would never have thought to, uh, put people as the more durable one of the two, 
but um you know sure and for the kind of human cylon discussion that seems like a conspicuous line to me um sure. <clears throat> but then also at the same time i think uh you have uh up in the CIC, you've got Gaeta who's talking about like the practicalities of like the search, you know, from that point of view of, mm. well, we only have so much fuel, you know, and we're kind of running through a large portion of it. Or, you know, uh, we can only search in so many areas so quickly or, you know, or even know where to search. Like a lot of the plot up there is even figuring out where do we even start looking? Um, so, and one line that jumped out to me too about that was um, Adama's thing to him about we need to start guessing. Um, and it reminded yeah. me, it reminded me of the scene with Rosalind when she asks yep. Gaeta to guess, and he's totally flustered because he's not used to being. I presume he's flustered because he's not used to being asked to guess. You know, and Adama says like, "I tell my officers not to guess." Right, right, right. He's very adamant about yeah. it. Yeah, I, I got the second time watching it through, um, I definitely got that same sense. Like this is a, you know, pretty much a callback right to that moment. Yeah, yeah. And an unprecedented thing in like, maybe from Adama's leadership. Like if right. we take him at his word that he tells them not to guess, then like when he says it's time to start guessing, and Gaeta's like, well, okay, like that's yeah. new. It's I like, guess I'll start guessing then. And yeah. like, it, it that kind of makes you wonder, like, is that Rosalind rubbing off on Adama a little bit, or is that just Adama's desperation of again breaking rules yeah. that he normally right? Um, you know, I took it as the latter okay. of those two, but I mean, that's just me, you yeah. know. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that that seems to make sense to me. Um, yeah. And yeah, again, like with, with Gaeta too, I think you kind of, I think with that character, so much of his, by necessity, so much of what he says is sort of exposition driven. It's like, mm. I'm the guy who gives you answers to the questions that you ask me. And so you, I always get a sense that like, he can't necessarily have the freedom to speak his mind, but he'll maybe do, do it through the jobs that he has to do. So like, you know, I'll keep reminding you of how much fuel we have. And like, just to kind of like, just so you don't forget, like <laughs> we're, we're down to like 43% of our fuel reserves or whatever. Um, and right, that's sort of right. a, a subordinate's way of sort of passing along little nudges of kind of, rather than Ty who just comes out and says like, well, this is crazy. Um, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the, those two, Tyrol and Geta, definitely serve as kind of, you know, a, a additional voices of reason. But like you said, like more from like that practical side, like mm -hmm. if Ty and Roslyn are sort of. Right. More from the, the philosophical moral, yeah, or whatever, yeah. like, yeah, then, then Tyrol and Geta are kind of like the utilitarian, you know, reasons why not to continue this pursuit. Um, yeah. So I feel like we should talk about Starbuck at least a little bit here. Um, and sort of the stuff that she goes through. Um, and so one thing, first of all, 
I find it really interesting when she, so, okay. So she goes on the planet. Um, like she kind of wakes up, I guess, like maybe she passed out from Mm -hmm. the fall or maybe the pain of whatever. We don't really, we didn't really hear what happened to her knee, but she like busted her knee up and, um, she's like getting pulled along. Or is well, that the, does that happen when she's when getting she's yeah being like as she's on? getting dragged oh, okay. she sort of slams her knee I think oh okay maybe I must have missed that both times <laughs> um but uh yeah she sort of like goes straight into like a boulder like her knee slams uh, into okay. a boulder so yeah um so anyway so she busts her knee up and whatever but is able to like sort of duct tape it <laughs> and you know, find, uh, find the Cylon ship. I found it interesting that, uh, her first words when she opens it up are, are you alive? Are you alive? Which yeah. is of course what six goes around asking everyone. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. And it's flipped so, now. It's a human asking well, yeah, a Cylon. Right, yeah. Right. Right. Um, and you know, being surprised by it, uh, obviously not like you get the sense that she was expecting like two you know toaster head cylons to sort of pop out of a hatch Mm -hmm. or something like not totally not expecting um this sort of like bio mechanical Mm -hmm. uh you know hybrid ship thing right um so uh she climbs in, of course, like, and, and I, I find, so I find the design of the ship kind of interesting from the inside of like, cause you do get the sense that like, this is like maybe a crude attempt. Like maybe these Cylon Raider ships were like a step between the old metalhead Cylons and like, you know, what ultimately came about as like the, human looking mm-hmm. Cylon model models. Mm-hmm. Um like that this like you still have like these, you know, joysticks and like levers and mm-hmm. you know air hoses and things. And it's like it's almost like you still have all the mechanical parts of the ship, but instead of having like someone in there to like pull all of these, you know, different controls and push buttons and stuff they just sort of like grew like a brain and intelligent, you know, mass of tissue inside to like manage all of that. Yeah. Um, So, so really, you know, I don't, and I mean, we don't necessarily know how intelligent these are. Like we, you do get the sense (laughs) that like the Cylon Raiders aren't like that good of flyers. Like, you know, they can like come in and like shoot a lot, but they're not like, you know, they don't really like maneuver. Like, you know, Lee notices right away that like there's something different about yeah. this ship, right? Because it's Starbuck flying. Right, right. So like, you know, these aren't necessarily like hugely complex brains, maybe. They're, you know, they're just like any other sort of AI that like once you figure out their tricks, you can sort of, you know, fly circles around them and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and that it's more the the you know, sending 400 of them at you at a time that like yeah. is what's going to get you not not their like deft flying right, and, right. you know maneuvers um but nonetheless yeah like she's 
so you know i find that interesting because of course like it could have been that like like, like there's no reason why the cylons couldn't have just created like a fully integrated ship that wouldn't have like where everything's just sort of done by like electrical impulse and thought control and there aren't any levers that like a human could climb into and pull you right. know what i mean like right that it could have just literally all been like tapped into a brain, you know, through a plug right. without any sort of obvious mechanical doings, but, but it's not. And so it, you know, and I guess you could say that's a flaw in maybe the design of the show or whatever, but I also feel like it does kind of make it interesting to see that as sort of like a mid-step. Like this is like maybe one of the first things that they sort of experimented, you know, from biological perspective of let's, let's figure out like how to make this work without having to like create new Cylon pilots or whatever, you know, they would be doing. Yeah. And it suggests interesting things about the overall like motivation of the Cylons of how apparently there must be something about, you know, for all that they have condemned humanity and want to like wipe them out of existence, they're kind of, wanting to maybe replace them in a way like there's obviously they have these like humanoid models now so there must be something about humanity that is you know that they want to emulate um you know whether it's whatever you know even if it's purely biological there must be like you know otherwise they wouldn't do it so like it kind of does if it sure. if you get this idea of like there's been a series of baby steps toward the, having these you know, fully human looking models, that kind of makes you wonder like, well, why? What's better about it? You know, why, if you could be a machine, why wouldn't you? What's, what's to your advantage to be sort of, you know, humanoid or biological or alive at all? Um, you know, which yeah. kind of brings me back to Tyrrell's interesting line about you can push people further than machines. Like, again, where there's this idea of like, somehow it's better to be human even though that mm. seems like if you're in a battle that seems counterintuitive um you know there might be something to that um so yeah um yeah and i think too you get with starbuck like you mentioned uh like what a better flyer she is inside the silent ship than even like the silent ships are. And again, I think you're getting that reinforcement of her, just her general skill. Um, mm. Like, and I, I noticed too, like they had uh, Lee fixing one of the ships, like in between. So like, you get the idea that like the pilots kind of know how ships work too. It's like, they, they can't, it's not just that right. they know how to fly them, but they understand like the mechanics sure. of it. So I like that, like, you know, you get her, you know, it's not just, I can steer something, but I understand the, the physics behind how this works. And so once she gets in there, she can understand how to like get it working again and everything. Um, so, you know, you're getting to see like some of her sort of, some of the skill that makes her, I guess, the best pilot that there is um yeah um the other thing i wanted to bring up with her too is the fact that we kind of without getting any like overt 
reconciliation do get like reconciliation from the previous episode like with her you know uh split with the adamas and i guess mm. uh older adama in particular um like the the way in which like the events of this episode kind of put all that so far to the back burner that it doesn't even need to be addressed at the end you know and it's like there's no big conversation about i'm sorry i was wrong or i forgive you or anything it's just you know everybody's just glad that she's back and it's over um you know and adama is immediately back to being sort of fatherly and warm with her um mm -hmm. You know, and she, like, you can kind of see again, like, the emotion of what that means to her and everything. Um, sure. But, yeah, it's interesting to me that, like, after the whole first part focused on Zach, they really don't talk about Zach. Like, like the Adamas do and Rosalind does, but, like, Adama and Rosalind, or Adama and Starbuck don't ever really go back to that conversation. Right. Right. Well, and I get, I think you get the sense that because they realize it's pointless to do so. Like what, you know, what good comes of it at this point? Yeah. Starbuck has learned her lesson. Like she's clearly gone above and beyond in, in you know, what, you know, Adonis says to her, you know, do your job, you know, like, you know, regardless of, you know, again, regardless of whatever personal problems you may have do your job and she does that like she's she's mm -hmm. learned that lesson but also like this episode is adama learning his lesson right. that sometimes it is important to you know have you know do something purely for personal reasons or whatever and right and and that you know calculated or not which i still think it is like he he errs, you know, a thousand times or fit well, or what was it? 45,000 times over by putting the entire, you know, fleet at risk mm -hmm. to search for her. Whereas, you know, she put one life at risk doing what right. she had done, you right. know? And so, I mean, granted it was an important life to them and, you know, all of that, but, you know, his, 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 willingness to sort of you know sin in that way if mm -hmm. you want to call it a sin um or error in that way or whatever uh is you know shows that like he he is capable of making that same mistake or whatever as well so well and if you know and if as you were saying if he's so in tune with his own feelings and knows that he's sinning in that way, right. then he might very well be aware of that. Like that might right. be a very conscious thing of, I understand now, you know, mm -hmm. whether or not it was the right decision for either of us, at least I can understand it, you know, and, and he can't right. condemn it anymore because he has been there. Um, yeah. Sure. Sure. So, so yeah, so I feel like, you know, whatever, uh, whatever, you know, adage you want to use, like they've walked in each other's shoes or whatever, you know, like, right. 
that that there you know the reconciliation is sort of the understanding of the other mm-hmm. person uh and the situation there so. yeah um and a cigar helps his last cigar his last cigar yeah which you know uh because didn't didn't baltar give her like a cigarello or something yeah like, like a like a cigarette or something yeah um uh yeah yeah she she seems to be she's cleaning up <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway um i so I, i'm not really sure where to talk about him so i guess we'll just mention him here hot dog right uh just wanted to know uh one like he earns his wings or whatever it is right mm-hmm. like what or, or i don't I'm not entirely sure the significance of the pin that Lee gives him, but it seems to be like yeah. you're one of us now. Right. Like right. maybe you like, get that upon your graduation or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Either that or like your first like flight or maybe it's your first yeah. kill because he, right. he killed one of the Cylons. Right. Something, um, some sort of right of initiation. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, like he, he definitely, you know, he says you earned it and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then the frustration of him when he's, uh, you know, when they spot the Cylon, that turns out to be Starbuck, and he can't go with Lee to mm-hmm. meet it. Um, so, but you know. yeah, and again, happy accidents because if there had been two Vipers out there, they might have taken sure. Starbuck out. You know, like so sure. you, get, and you, you get Hot Dog would have been even more trigger happy maybe than right, Lee. <laughs> right. So, like, you get the idea of like. Starbucks rescue is contingent upon a lot of like good luck. Um, you know, sort of if 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 luck luck you call call it, it. sort of little you catastrophes along the way. Um, yeah, sure, yeah, but but hot dog is very green and excited to get out and like you know kill Cylons, so yeah, he's very frustrated when he doesn't get to launch. Um, Oh, and quick too, I also did want to mention the little scene with uh, Baltar and Roslyn. Um, Because again, Mm. furthering this idea of like, he has, you know, the number six in his head, who's sort of telling him, you know, sort of confirming maybe where his thoughts are going anyway, or telling him what he wants to hear or whatever. But you have her kind of egging him on about, you know, the Cylons could show up. And again, Baltar being all self-interest, you know, that's sort of where uh, his worries are is what happens to me if the Cylons show up. Um, So kind of, again, maybe Rosalind would have reached those conclusions anyway, but Baltar being the one, the first one to kind of say that out loud and put that little thought in her ear of like, maybe Adama isn't being as professional as you say, and maybe he's jeopardizing the safety of the fleet and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is when she then goes and starts asking them about what are they doing? So um, him being sort of manipulative in that way, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Um. And then finally, Hilo and Sharon, more adventures on Caprica. Um, They wake up. They get shot at. They shoot back. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know that there's much to say. I kind of feel like this whole thing with them it gets drawn out a little too much. Um, sure. You know, and on the one hand, okay, like they're like I, I just there's not a lot of substance to their stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. No, you do have a sense of like. I think over like if I am remembering my timelines right. I feel like their story kind of over the first season is sort of one episode's worth of story that's like stretched out. So you get like one scene per episode that kind of furthers them one scene further along. So, yeah, um, you know, I mean, I think the important stuff is probably the same stuff we've said the last couple of times, which is they're getting closer and... Sure. This idea, again, that um, they're being watched by the Cylons and that probably everything they're doing is according to some sort of plan or trap anyway. Um, yeah. So the fact that they get uh, attacked and then Sharon goes missing at the end, you know, so Hilo's right. sort of searching for her. Again, you have to wonder, you know, I mean, we know obviously more about Sharon than Hilo knows. So, you know to what extent is she in on this plan or not, um, you know, is sort of remains to be seen, but I think that's sort of a question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that kind of seems like logical. Like you get them to be really close with each other and then you take her away. So now Hilo's even more desperate to sort of find her than he would have been anyway. Sure. Um, okay. Well, I think, uh, I think we can move on to Angel. And yeah. Talk about season two. Season two. Um, so, uh, just wanted to mention awards. We actually mentioned a little bit last week when we were talking about Buffy, um, that there were some, uh, the, the two shows were sort of up for many of the same Saturn award categories. So again, for Angel that included, uh, nominations for best network tv series best actor for david boreanaz uh best actress for charisma carpenter best supporting actor for alexis denisoff <clears throat> and best supporting actress for juliet landau mm-hmm. um it didn't win any of those but um it was nominated <laughs> for all of them yeah. um uh it did win however this season well for 2001 uh it won the international horror guild award for best television. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously like a very sort of niche mm-hmm. genre um, award there, but you know, Hey, okay. it's an award and uh, you nothing know, wrong with niche. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Just saying, I mean, you know, we're not talking Emmys here yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, Saturn is still genre, but it's, you know, broader, like yeah. it's not quite as niche as horror yeah. guild. But um, anyway, yeah, so worth worth noting there. Um, but I think we wanted to move right into sort of our main topic <laughs> for the evening, which is... And the other meaning behind our title tonight. <laughs> yeah, which which is, what the hell is this season about? Yeah. Because... I don't know. <laughs> in, in sort of talking about it before the podcast... We couldn't really figure out. And and <laughs> it's not it's not obvious. So I feel like I feel like there one of the things we talked about is like with Buffy, every season, even even sort of the first season where you have 
very you know it one one it's a half season right so <laughs> that's part of it and it's not like real arc heavy but there's at least like a point like there's a point to establishing sort of the monster of the week and establishing who buffy is and what she's doing yeah um and then we talked about in season four where it seems kind of aimless at times but it's almost like the aimlessness is the point mm-hmm. where you know you get the people sort of going off in their own directions only to sort of pull together at the end i would like to say that season two of angel is something like that Mm -hmm. but i just can't bring myself to it Mm because i feel like you get sort of these little mini arcs throughout the season but there's no like overarching no overarching arc (laughs) um for the season itself yeah there's no one single idea that seems to kind of whereas like maybe aimlessness would have been the single idea that united season four of of buffy i don't know that you can say that yeah i don't i don't quite think you can i feel like i feel like they tried to sort of have their cake and eat it too where where you you know, you start having these arcs. But like, so for example, um, I think we may have mentioned that like the season finale, like the four part season finale, like going, you know, through all the Pylea stuff Mm -hmm. doesn't really have anything else to do with the entire rest of the season. Right. And that like in Angel and Buffy together, I feel like that that's unique Mm -hmm. at this point. Like that there isn't, there that there has even when like in Buffy where you don't necessarily have the reveal of who the big bad is, yeah. there still seems like a logical progression. Yes. It's like, oh, the previous person who we thought could have been the big bad was like killed by this other person and now they're the one who's the big bad. Yeah. So there's like there's still like this sort of logical progression to right. what's going on in the season. Um this just seems like it opens with like so at the end of season one, you get the Darla, you know, moment mm-hmm. of this cliffhanger of this thing they brought back, this whatever is Darla. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have the first part of this season wrapped up in that. But then by halfway through the season, that's all done. Mm-hmm. Like Darla and Drusilla, like, skip town. Mm-hmm. Half half burnt and, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, they're gone. Yeah. Um. And then you have like what I what I got what I was calling the Anne arc, um, which is sort of like a series of episodes, and and they're not even all. I think there might be one where like it's not even in line with the other two or whatever. Like there's like maybe an episode in between, mm-hmm. but where you have like Anne <clears throat> Steele, who used to be Chanterelle, who used to be Sister Sunshine, mm-hmm. you know, and had all these other names. Um, where where you have her sort of you know working with angel kind of in a way but then also like she's connected to wolfram and heart and so you've got like some different mm-hmm. things that happen there and there's some like plot device stuff that goes on there but again it's not like it's not real clear like like there's kind of an arc but but it's not even really, I don't even know if there's enough there to call it fully an arc because it's right. like three episodes. So, right. um, and then you get sort of into the Pylea stuff. And there's some one-off episodes sort of in between those. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, uh, you know, 
again, like it's just it's not real clear what what this season is doing altogether. But I I want to say like even despite that, like I still think overall that I like this season mm-hmm. because like I still feel like the episodes themselves are worth watching and talking about. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of in retrospect that you're like, well, but where did it all go? Like it didn't quite gel as a season right like other seasons of either show have done right yeah yeah like definitely i think uh that's one of the interesting things about like maybe tv as a medium is that the story works on multiple not just multiple levels of what does it mean but multiple sort of structural levels so like you can talk about an episode independently from a season independently from a series but each of those, they're all related, but they kind of operate like on different registers, I guess. So I definitely think like, you know, saying that a season doesn't necessarily have as strong of a coherence or through line doesn't mean that like the individual episodes aren't strong or aren't worth talking about. Um, mm. <clears throat> but yeah, on on the seasonal level, it just makes it hard to sort of know you know, what to kind of talk about in terms of, like, the big ideas. Like, yeah. okay, like, you know, what what was sort of the story of this season and, and where the characters went and everything. And, yeah, it's it's tough because I think you mentioned that, uh, like, the Pylea arc is one of the fan favorites. Like, it's a really strong, you know, kind of mm-hmm. little mini arc. But, yeah, as a climax to the season slightly anticlimactic like in the sense of like if you were expecting uh as i was you know maybe not the total resolution but some sort of like you know uh you know climax with like the darla plot or the wolfram and heart stuff it doesn't you know uh hardly address those at all you know kind of flirts with wolfram and heart but it doesn't you know, nothing yeah. is really, you know, it, it just it just hints at it. It doesn't really resolve anything. And Darla, yeah, like once she leaves, we haven't seen, you know, mm-hmm. hide or hair of Darla in, you know, half a season or almost that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And. I mean, I think there is a part of it that you could make an argument about the aimlessness in terms of, at least for Angel's character, you know, of his, you know, firing of everybody uh, kind of in the first half of the season and the second half being more about that coming back together. Um, Sure. But I don't know that that comes across as strongly as it did with Buffy season four. Um, right. You know, there's just something about like the timing of it that is a little bit, uh, you know, off or like, you know, I kind of want to try to make an argument about the Pylea stuff really being about, you know, that idea of, again, of home and of how sort of like, you know, Lauren's conclusion about how, um, you know, home isn't, you can't go home again and how like 
home isn't necessarily like the place where you were brought up or the family that you were born into, but it's about the home that you sort of make for yourself, you know? So Mm -hmm. that kind of conclusion that, oh, we're misfits. So we belong in LA and that's really our home and everything. But I also feel like we kind of knew that um, a little bit last season, you know, I feel like we kind of established that thought already. So I don't know that that makes a really compelling uh, contender for like the theme of, you know, this season or whatever. Um, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I don't know that every season of TV has to have like a big capital letter theme, but like when you're trying to talk about it retrospectively at the season level, it makes it nicer. <laughs> like at least, sure. at least from the point of view of looking at it from like, you want a season to sort of cohere. Um, that's, you know, a nice feature. Um, and mm. I do think it's the first one that we've had. That's really, you know, had that issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like even in Doctor Who, I think, which could be very episodic at times, um, you still always had the coherence of like the companion of at that time, you know. So even if the episodes are are fairly standalone, it's still like, you know, well, what's Rose's journey this season or whatever, you know, like, and that kind of gave it a coherence. Whereas, hmm. I don't know you know, I don't know that there was kind of that overall strength of the arc this season with Angel. Yeah. 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 No, I, I would agree. Um, so all of that said, well, uh, sorry. Well, did you want to talk about Wolfram and Hart in relation to that? Or did you want to save them? Because there's also the kind of point to be made about, I think that di- well, that discussion is related to the idea of the big bad. Um, I guess, I guess. So <laughs> there's sort of two things. If we want to talk about like season long things, mm-hmm. there's Wolfram and Hart. You're right. Like, um, so I think I said when we started with Angel that we don't quite get the same big bad type right things that we do with buffy Mm -hmm. um and something that you actually pointed out that i think is is good um you know as far as as far as thinking of angel um is how with wolfram and Hart you kind of have so this season we had a couple of prominent exits Mm -hmm. and at least one prominent entrance Mm -hmm. um, or at least you know sighting i don't know if we can quite call it an entrance yet Mm -hmm. um so um Holland Manners dies, right? So he he's one of the ones mm-hmm. who is killed along with a bunch of others when uh Angel locks them in with Darla and Drusilla. Mm-hmm. Um Lindsay leaves presumably for good. Like, you know, it's kind of like I'm yeah. done with all this. You know, he kind of makes up his mind and and leaves. Um and then you have uh, the introduction of a new person sort of in their stead 
mm-hmm. in or at least in um, Lindsay's stead, uh, Gavin, mm-hmm. um, aka Jin. Uh, yeah, is it a rule that you can't have more than one lost guest actor on in the story at a time? So I think, I think as that one be... as that's like an existential like like energy conservation or something like yeah. as one exits another enters. Um, anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, when when did Lost begin? Uh, two thousand and four. Okay, so this would have been before. Yes. Still. Yes. Uh. Anyway, yeah. Um, right. All of all of the lost actors in this show would have been before. So yeah. that's interesting. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah. I mean, when it, so back to kind of my point here is that what you were saying um, before the show started uh, is that you kind of get the sense of there's sort there's like a churn going on right mm-hmm. like this is like the there's an entity that's greater than the sum of right. the people working for it um and so also we get we get sort of some news about wolfram at heart right like so holland dies but he doesn't like his contract didn't end right <laughs> right like yeah. he he's still working for wolfram at heart because you know he's manning the elevator to hell right which turns out to you know just be, be here yeah yeah um so, you know, there is a sense that, like, he isn't truly gone, maybe, like, from sure. the storyline. Sure. But, um, you know, but he is dead. Like, you know, he's definitely gone from his, you know, it's like, I, I don't think we see Holland again. Except, like, mm-hmm. in, in that one, uh, you know, at the charity ball, like, where you get, like. Oh, like the, the video the, of him the or The video whatever. of yeah. him yeah. Doing, doing his appeal for the children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, you get, you know, you get the sense that he's gone and that Lindsay's gone and that, um, that, yeah, like you, you can just like replace them with whoever's next, right? Like that there's, that there's a a perpetuity Mm -hmm. to um, the organization of Wolfram and Hart that outlasts any of its individual members. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not like where, you know, you might have a company where like, the CEO is, you, you know, think of like something like Apple where like you had Steve Jobs as like the clear mm-hmm. whatever or Microsoft with Bill Gates. Like, sure, those companies are still going on maybe without those individuals as their heads, but it, it's not the same, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Whereas Wolfram and Hart, you just get the sense of like, oh, we just replaced this one cog that kind of went faulty with a new cog yeah. and, you know, everything's still spinning and doing what it needs to to do whatever that is we yeah. don't really know what those are you know that sort of thing is um right so yeah so you get that sense and like you said there's even like passing reference of that to uh uh the pilea arc so there is some sense of that kind of threading its way through the whole season although mm-hmm. i i don't know that i would call it an arc per se mm-hmm. it's more just like it more just gives you a sense of sort of the hold that Wolfram Hart <laughs> has across, uh, you know, across the different dimensions and that kind of thing. Um, and that there does seem like, you know, and, and the Pylea thing, like, I think we talked about this a little bit, but like the Pylea bit where, you know, we have the three books of Wolfram and Hart, 
like you get the sense that like this is happening like across multiple dimensions right and mm. so um we still don't know exactly like who the senior partners are or whatever but that like that there is some sort of like strings being pulled like across these different worlds and dimensions and whatnot that that something is being worked out and for some reason like for example um you know cordy's visions that are a link to the higher power become sort of an attraction for this and that there's like these different prophecies and whatever going on that had like predicted that that would come about um so you know again like i i don't know that i call it an arc it's just it's more like seasonal elucidation of what wolfram and hart really is and you know i think that that makes it somewhat more nefarious knowing that it's sort of this seemingly mindless thing that just keeps going Mm -hmm. regardless of sort of who's in the driver's seat like yeah it almost doesn't even have a driver it's just they're all sort of working towards something and nobody's necessarily quite sure what but it's it's always evil (laughs) yeah yeah no Um, and i that's that's one thing i really do like about it is um is that sense of like okay maybe we don't have multiple season specific big bads like we did in Buffy but Wolfram and Hart kind of stands in for like the like you said perpetual big bad of Angel but there is that sense of like they might be an undefeatable big bad you know um whereas like I might not know how Buffy will conquer each bad each season but I feel fairly confident that she will like that's that that's where the story will take us is um, you know, I mean, you never know, but like, that's kind of what more I expect from that sort of story. Although technically she didn't in season five. Uh, it was Giles. It was Giles who defeated When no, I I'm see just, Buffy, just, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. the good guys, somebody, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like. I, I, yeah. I know. Okay. Um, whereas I'm, like, I'm, yeah, I feel like it's different. Whereas like. Wolfram and Hart is Angel's sort of big enemy, but like two seasons now of they've been around and, you know, not only are they not sort of, you might have like small minor victories, but like those henchmen will be replaced by different henchmen. And uh, yeah. And, and I think um, definitely you have that sense of, that being a very interesting kind of whatever you want to call it a metaphor for like that that feels kind of right for like the angel universe of like Buffy you're dealing with like uh you know demons and gods and you know all these things and we're like with angel like the big bad is like a corporation and it's like a particularly faceless you know uh soulless corporation you know a particular brand of corporation um and that seems appropriate that that is something which is without a you know figurehead that can't just be overthrown and the thing is defeated it that that it's a a self-perpetuating you know 
behemoth that like will just keep going indefinitely. Um, yeah. So I don't, I, I like that aspect of it. Like that feels for what I think for the ways in which Angel is like telling a different story than Buffy. Um, if it's trying to be more sort of, uh, you know, adult and a little bit more worldly and maybe a little bit more cynical about things that feels appropriate to me that like, you know, we're now in the realm of like, you know, where the big evil is like bureaucracy and it, and it's not something that like, any one of us can stop. It'll just sort of keep chugging along on its own just fine, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, well, and and in a way, then, that that becomes sort of the central uh, fault that Angel has during his time when he fires everyone and kind of goes off on his own, is mm-hmm. thinking that you can, you know, cut off the head and kill the Hydra. Right. You know, but but it you can't like right like there's no just like bringing it down because it's like you said like it's not a big bad it's <laughs> a lot a lot of little bads it's it's right. more about the daily grind of you know dealing with just all the day-to-day stuff that gets thrown at you mm-hmm. um so i meant i said two things that were sort of seasonal uh topics or whatever the other one um that i want to point out is uh the introduction and uh eventual integration of lorne Mm -hmm. into the group um uh who for most of the season we don't know his name although i mean i knew his name obviously but like it it's kind of funny because like i actually forgot how long they go with just calling him the host yeah, like it's yeah. not until the last couple of episodes or whatever that they actually give him a name. Um, so you know, uh, we also sort of bookend the season with him singing, right? So you get like mm-hmm. the opening episode of him, you know, who's this green guy, like sitting there talking and then like singing and stuff, um, doing his like little introduction and like uh, narrative stuff in between sort of the main action of the episodes um and then you have the final episode of the season where um you know discounting sort of the epilogue with willow at the end there um where you have lauren sort of singing somewhere over the rainbow as Mm -hmm. they're getting ready to leave pylea um and i don't know that i have a ton to say about it other than that you know it's like we pointed out over the season, you know, like we're not really sure how he fits in all the time that like, you know, it does seem to be that he's sort of, a, you know, like a, a neutral force of, you know, he can read people and demons and whatever. But, you know, he kind of indiscriminately helps whoever comes to him to ask for it and mm-hmm. uh, helps them by putting them on their path, whatever that path may be. If your path is, you know, rescuing a bunch of children from a bus, then great. If your path is throwing a bus full of children into the river, you know, hey, that's your path and I'm going to help you find it. You know, so um, it does seem, though, as the the season goes on that he 
that he at least has a bent towards helping Angel and team and that like, you know, with him trying to find like loopholes around the Wolfram and Hart lawyers who came to like how he's like, I can't tell you what I read, but I can tell you what I heard in the bathroom. Like, you know, that kind of stuff where um, and then, you know, ultimately coming to like hire them to, help (coughs) you know, uh, uh, you know, defeat this draken that comes through, which ultimately leads to their, you know, adventures in Pylea and all of that, Um, you know, and brings him and makes him part of the team to the point where like. Angel even calls him friend. It's it's a very brief reference, but when Angel learns that Lauren had been decapitated, mm-hmm. like he, you know, he says, you know, one of my friends got killed. And yeah. it's like, well, you know, it's sort of an offhanded reference, but that's that's a huge difference from hey, the guy who runs this demon karaoke bar can, you know, read your aura. You know, which is basically how he's introduced in like I don't know what is like, is it the first episode, I guess, where they I think so. Yeah. Um, the first time. So, you know, again, it's, I don't know that it's enough to call it an arc, but it's certainly, you know, uh, something that goes throughout the season and, and, you know, he's basically part of the team by the end. Yeah. Um, Or at least that's the feeling you kind of get. Yeah. I Uh, think, he has an arc of uh, going from more of that neutrality towards becoming, you know, an active participant, you know, for the team, um, mm-hmm. reluctantly at first, but then sort of more and more, you know, integrated, I think, as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and And again, like, continuing that idea of, like, home is who you make it and you know wherever you decide it to be we have uh lauren and thread and thread fred being (laughs) sort of uh pulled in towards the end as more of these sort of misfit you know people who sure uh you know become sort of part of the group by the end i think um i say that presuming that we're going to see a fair amount more of them in the next season. Um, I don't actually know that, but that's what I, that's the impression I have. So um, the impression by me nodding my head a lot here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I don't, I mean, I don't just like things that I like, I, I I, just things that I might've picked up along the way, like, you know, uh, references to their characters and stuff. Even if I don't know where the story goes, um, I feel pretty sure that that won't be the last that we see of them. So sure. <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, right. And so, yeah, I don't know that we need to talk a lot more about it, but yeah, there's definitely, so, you know, it does bring around, um, I think both in this, season and a little bit in last season where we're you know at the beginning of season one where we had Doyle and we're talking about him that that there is like sort of a greater diversity to uh demons than you know Mm -hmm. maybe we originally got in Buffy you know even even though like there was Angel but he Mm -hmm. always had 
a soul except for the yeah. part where he didn't right. but you know you know he was always something like different he was against the norm but now like with something like Lorne there there is a more of a gray area here where you see like like even without the influence of Angel and team like he's not a bad person he's no maybe not, he's kind of a nice guy <laughs> yeah he's not necessarily like a good person in the sense of like he's not out there like angel trying to be a hero and fight evil but he's not a bad person he's got a karaoke bar and you know whoever wants to drink and sing can come in and drink and sing and mm -hmm. you know he's just kind of like your average everyday you know proprietor you know that just is trying to get by kind of thing and yeah. and so you you get the sense of like that there are you know sort of more variations and more levels of gray than <laughs> Um, you know, you might otherwise think, uh, within this world of Buffy and, and Angel. Yeah. So all that said, um, you know, we probably can talk about our favorite episodes, which I know we usually start out doing that in the mm -hmm. season, but like given, given that there wasn't like an arc and all of that, I feel I know we both sort of felt like we should talk about the other stuff first. So yeah. now that we've gotten all, gotten all that out of the way, we should talk about our favorite episodes. Um, and it's my turn to go first this time. Yeah. So uh, I'm choosing, surprise, a Tim Minear episode. <laughs> um, and uh, specifically the second episode of the season, Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? Um, and so... What you know, one of the things that I like about this episode um is that we just get more angel background, but mm -hmm. like also more angel background that's not like you know eighteenth century Ireland Liam angel, <laughs> you know what I mean like or or you know even like angel and Darla, you know in you know, running around Europe kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a whole new period of Angel that we haven't seen. It's Angel with a soul, but like before he had a purpose. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, if we do want, if we do talk, like, cause I do feel like there is an arc to, you know, his, firing the team and then sort of searching around a bit and then coming back to the team. Like, like I don't, even though like we're struggling to talk about like a seasonal arc, mm -hmm. there's definitely an angel arc mm -hmm. with that theme. And, and this like sets, sets that off pretty well, I think um, because you get, so just reminder of the episode is that like, like basically what happens in like the present time or, you know, the present time of the show anyway, is pretty mundane. It's like Angel asks, you know, Cordy and Wesley to like investigate some stuff with the this hotel that like he thinks could be haunted, you know, by some demon or whatever. And then like he goes to the hotel and like wanders around and remembers a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then like there's and then they like fight the demon at the end. But, you know, it's it's not like like there really isn't that much like action to the episode mm -hmm. as, as far as the present day stuff goes. Um, but you get 
you get it uh you know going back to whatever what it i forget what's the time period like the 40s or the 50s maybe or is yeah. it earlier than that yeah it's like um, no it's like the 50s or something it's like the red scare and all that um right 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 of course so um so you get you get this storyline of like angels living in sort of relative obscurity in this hotel um and you have like all these different like sort of stereotypical you know people about so you have like um you know the screenwriter and you have like the sports star and you have like the actress and they're all like the three of them are sort of always seen together but then you have like the bellhop and the hotel manager who are like sort of keeping people's secrets you have like you know the guy down the hall who is apparently gay but you know obviously you can't tell anyone that at that mm-hmm. time and then uh, you have the uh you know woman in the room like next door or across the hall or whatever that's uh you know that stole something and she's you know like one 128th black and mm-hmm. you know is considered passing you know for white and all this stuff so you know you have like sort of all these different like things going on that are you know somewhat ridiculous but also at the same time like all of all of them were like issues at the time and Mm -hmm. so um you know angel like just doesn't want to get involved with anyone and he ends up um which i didn't think about it this way but he ends up doing basically what he does later with Darla and Drusilla. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's good. In saying that, you know, all, you know, basically what happens is, uh, the people with all of their sort of individual faults and problems and, uh, uh, things that they're trying to hide ultimately ends up getting back to him that like, he's, he's the weirdest one of them all. And so they kind of turn on him as a scapegoat and hang him from, you know, the rafters mm-hmm. or whatever and, and try to kill him. Not knowing of course that he's a vampire and doesn't breathe anyway. Um, and so this demon that like feeds off of the paranoia and fear, uh, you know, he angel just ultimately lets him, lets him have them all. Right. And, um, yeah. apparently uh the the one woman who you know uh had been passing or whatever ends up like living there like in this sort of like pro prolonged state of fear and paranoia in like the same room that she's been in all along and so yeah um you know that's why they have to come back and like ultimately kill the demon and release her right um but But it shows, it shows this like side of Angel that, you know, I think comes out a bit more of, of he's, he's not into dealing with other people, right? Like this is like Angel kind of at his worst. He's, he, he's a loner. He's, you know, not interested in the problems of other people. He's not interested in helping in any way. And when he does try to help, it turns out poorly Mm -hmm. um and so ultimately he just gets so frustrated that he just doesn't care and lets the demon you know feed on these 
I almost said innocent. I don't know that all of them are entirely innocent, but you know, whether they deserve to die or be fed mm-hmm. on by a demon is, you know, probably they they probably don't deserve that. Right. Um so yeah, so I don't know. I I just like it for sort of all those reasons and and um and you know, I think as always Tim Minear is just good at telling these types of stories where sure. you have sort of the interweaving plot line and and the back and forth with the flashbacks and stuff yeah Um, no and that's a really good point about the parallel um because i didn't think of that at the time but in retrospect that totally sets up uh angel's decision with the lawyers to leave them to to darla and drew and his sort of his apathy about that being the most you know the kind of low point of his morality of the seasons and everything um Mm. is when he's willing to just say it's not even like when it's angelus killing people it's like when angel the human being just says you know what whatever you can have them um and like talking on the character level like that seems like maybe that's one thing that the pilea arc does at the end is you get the return of like angel the champion like angel sure. angel the hero who will fight for other people and what's right even at the at the you know danger that he might lose himself within that um you know to the vampire that's in him or whatever um but you get him once again being like and i guess in pilea with you have this sort of pseudo medieval setting that kind of works really well but you get him as like sure the knight who stands up for people rather than the guy who just sort of goes, meh, whatever. Um, you know, which is an interesting contrast to the kind of like mundane corporate evil of Wolfram and Hart. Like, you know, you kind of get Angel at his best is sort of, you know, this chivalrous, you know, knight in armor kind of guy um, mm. who you know, is uh, very much like active and fighting and everything. Um, yeah. So I think that does a lot to, that actually makes me feel like the angel character arc is quite coherent, whether or not like, you know, the themes of the season are like, definitely. I think that works for angel. Sure. <clears throat> um, yeah. So the other one I picked is also Tim Minear and is also very flashback heavy. So I'm <laughs> sensing a theme. Um, I don't know whether that's the theme of what you and I like to choose or whether that's because that's what works really well in the show or whatever. But um, yeah, I hesitated over choosing this uh, and I, I chose the episode called Darla Um because it pairs with Fool for Love, which is the episode that I chose for Buffy season five. Um, and I, I hesitated wondering if that would be too obvious and whether I'd be covering too much of the same territory. Um, but honestly, I don't care because I think like this is <laughs> this is like one of the stronger like, you know, I think Tim Minear does write really strong episodes and um 
you know, Angel is interesting when it delves into the backstories of those characters and everything. Um, so yeah, yeah, like I, I, again, as I talked about last time, I like the way it delves into that backstory and interweaves the two shows. Um, mm-hmm. So you're seeing, you know, seeing the same scenes you saw in Fool for Love, but maybe like a couple seconds before or after what you saw there or, or from a different perspective, like, you know, rather than seeing from Spike's point of view, now you're kind of with Drusilla and the others as they see like William, the poet sort of stumbling in the alleyway, like minutes before she's about to go attack him and everything. So you're getting like, again, that kind of retreading those same, uh, you know, areas, but with different perspective. Um, sure. But also, you know, it's a while since I watched it. So, you know, sometimes I struggle to remember the specifics, but recontextualizing like what we thought we know about like Angel in the longer history of everything, you know, that you find out different, you know, the timelines of like when he had his soul is slightly revised from what you you knew before. Like you found out like he he had his soul for a while before he even left Darla, you know, which kind of again, like I had imagined that it was a clean break sort of thing, you know, of, you know, the gypsies give Angel his soul and suddenly he has morality. Um, whereas with this, you realize that there's a fairly long period of time when he's yeah. kind of going through the motions and he's sort of not really feeling it anymore. He's starting to be sort of racked with guilt, but it wasn't a decision that he made instantly. It was something he had to really think about and make over a long period of time before he had the sort of moral strength to, you know, break away from that group. And that's even decades before he has the moral strength to like do the right thing in any particular situation. Like, you know, in Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? That's like the 1950s. And he's still not like, you know, fighting for good. Um, It's not really until he meets Buffy that he starts to really be like a hero. Um, But again, it just sort of, I think it gives you a new perspective on what you thought you knew about the character. and it gives it more, more like gradual shades of gray rather than just hero angel and villain Angelus. If I'm remembering right, it kind of opens up the possibility of Angel being, if not villainous, at least not exactly heroic or very sure. potentially very flawed, which again, like I think is feeding into all the stuff, the the questionable choices he makes this season, like leaving the lawyers to get eaten by Darla and Drew. Um, Mm. It's sort of in that same conversation of like, well, we know to be afraid of Angelus, but to what extent should we be a little bit afraid of Angel too? Um, And what he's sort of capable of. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to criticize you choosing a Tim Minear episode. Um, <clears throat> the obligatory yeah, no. Tim Minear 
flashback heavy episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I agree with all your points, <laughs> basically. Um, I do, I do also like the way that the flashbacks are interweaved and stuff and, and all of the different things that you learn, uh, here. So, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I have much more to say <laughs> about that. Sure. Um. Okay. I, I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I have a lot more to say about the season in general. And I know like this is unprecedented that we're like 15 minutes before the two hour mark and <laughs> maybe coming up here. But I mean, it's just sort of in general, like we, I think we, I feel like we already talked about like the Anne stuff enough mm-hmm. and sort of, I mean, you know, there is there is the sense that like during that period like we talked about Angel, <laughs> you know sort of being uh you know at his lowest there but i feel like that's also when most of the other characters are at their low mm-hmm. um, you have like wesley getting shot you have cordy sort of feeling betrayed and whatever by angel and you have um gun sort of still trying to like make it work with his old crew but it's not really and you kind of see like his you know being pulled in two directions and and that kind of thing before he ultimately chooses you know with the pilea arc to go with angel uh and team so yeah but can i say too that i feel like even those individual character arcs are still somewhat unresolved like you know like if i'm thinking about it like like, yeah, Gunn does decide to go with them. But, like, is that a definitive break from his crew? I'm not 100% sure whether it is or I not. Don't, I don't know that it's a break from his crew, but, you like, Angel's leaving the voicemail right to him. And then, sure. um, like, that's what makes him decide. You know, it's that, you know, Angel sounds like he's never coming back kind of thing. And right. So he's like, so I... I mean, right. is it a definitive break from his crew? Maybe not. But I do think there's, I think there's a level of choice there to say like, okay, I am with you guys. Like even, yeah, e- even if, I mean, it, you know, it would be hard to say that's like the last time we ever hear of Gun's crew ever again. Like I don't even remember if that's the case or not. But I do think that it's, I think there's, it's meant to be like, <laughs> there is a decision there being made of, okay, I'm choosing you guys over the crew at this, at least at this point. Right. You know, right. But I'm also thinking of like, okay, Cordy's visions still getting worse. She, and and again, there is a choice. I'm not saying it's without any resolution at all, but it's not totally, it's not like, okay, that was her arc of the season. And now that's done. It's like, yes, she makes, she makes the choice to keep her visions but there's obviously she still has them. There's consequences to that, um, that, you know, need to be addressed. And then, you know, with Wesley too, I feel like his leadership role, like has gotten more and more of a thing, but like, obviously, like, I don't think that's a, a, a done issue either. Like we still also have angel in leadership and to what extent are they in conflict with each other? Um, you know, uh, Again, like, 
I don't disagree that there are kind of, you know, choices that are made sort of at the end of the season that might kind of put a little cap on it. But I also feel like those are continuing storylines that I expect to see more of too. So even with those, I feel like they're more sort of ongoing across the series, not even just like specific to, you know, the season or whatever. And and all (laughs) I meant was like when I was talking about like the Anne arc and stuff was that those seem to be like the low points of all those, you know, you know, again, it's when Wesley gets shot. It's when yeah. Gunn is sort of like, well, I mean, he's with his crew members there, right? But it's like, it's the embarrassment and sort of chagrin at feeling like, oh, I'm abandoning my crew because I'm spending all this time with this angel crowd and that kind of thing. And, and Cordy yeah. feeling betrayed and stuff. So, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I hesitate to say what we'll see in the future, of course, but, but I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with you that there aren't feelings as, but you know, I, you do get the sense of like, like there's the episode, right. Where, where, uh, Angel buys Cordy a bunch of new clothes. Right. And yet not to say that, like, I mean, Cordy speaks her mind. So, you know, she's going to bring it up from time to time. Like, Hey, remember all those months where you abandoned us? Mm -hmm. Like, like we're definitely going to get that. And so maybe from that sense, it's not resolved, but I do feel like, and I'll also with like Wesley, you know, in the Pylea stuff, like <clears throat> taking on sort of that general role and being willing to like send people to their death kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're not at least at the point where they are sort of in the middle of the season there where they're like feeling their worst sure um, yeah they're definitely not like unchanged from where and, they started and and i don't necessarily mean to even imply that they all sort of hit it at the same time either because mm-hmm. i do feel like like with wesley you have like the sort of post <clears throat> uh you know getting shot depression and uh his breakup with virginia right and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff so um you know, I mean, it it sort of lingers and, yeah. and gets played out. But, um, yeah, like I said, like, that just seems to me to be sort of the low point mm-hmm. um, for for kind of all of them there. Has nothing to do with Anne. Like, Anne's a great character and all. But <laughs> I'm just saying that arc is sort of where they're all. No, but. They all seem to be doing that. I, I think it's appropriate that she's there then because I feel like that is kind of what her character represents is one of those people who, you know, maybe like the cautionary tale of what moving to LA could look like is like, she was this kind of person on the fringes and the margins of society who was sort of getting like, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, shuffled around and chewed out. Uh, And then it was like the encounter with Buffy that pulled her out of that. And now she's this sort of, you know, unifying figure who uh, pulls in all of these, you know, uh, kids without homes and families and any sort of support and gives them, you know, a safe place to be. So she's kind of, that's sort of what she represents, I think. So Mm. when you have all of the various characters sort of at different low points, 
isolated kind of from each other emotionally, if nothing else. And then like, it's that reminder to, you know, uh, not let yourself get lost and alone, but to kind of come back together and be united and kind of find that family with each other, I think. So mm. I think that, I don't know that her being there is super plot important, but I kind of feel like that works, uh, that she's there for those particular sort of episodes. Yeah. Um, and so it just occurred to me too, that there's one other character we need to talk about or that we should talk about that, um, I totally skipped my mind. I kind of feel bad about it. Uh, -oh. uh Kate, Kate oh, Buckley, yeah. uh, who, someone else uh, who was around and then we yeah, kind of just disappeared. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's funny. Like she sort of flits in and out of the story. Like will kind of come and be very important for a couple episodes and then we'll sort of drop back out of it again. Um, I feel like she's consistently done that for the first two seasons. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I'll go ahead and confirm we don't see her again, actually. Really? So, yeah. Um, more be More be The reason for that is more real world scheduling problems ah. um than then ended up being uh uh anything you know story wise they actually there is um they did want to bring her back apparently in season three um in a particular storyline that we'll get to at some point and maybe if i remember i'll try to remember <laughs> to bring it up then uh but Due to scheduling conflict, she wasn't Elizabeth Rome um, wasn't able to do that. And uh -huh. then, of course, she went on to be in one of the Law and Orders. I can't remember if it was the original one or okay. one spinoffs or whatever. Um, and was on that for like quite a number of years. I don't know if that's the particular conflict um, here or not. But mm -hmm. anyway, for whatever reason, she ended up not coming back. So interesting. Yeah, that's really surprising um yeah um her character now i will say her character does show up in the comics okay so you know i mean it's not like the last of her character ever like she doesn't just like go off and die somewhere like <laughs> whatever um but you know not in the tv show she doesn't yeah uh, appear any further yeah um and it's it's sort of <clears throat> it's sort of confirmed in um the comics that she she like leaves the LAPD and goes and like she gets and goes and like to like the antique business or something like you know something like not, having nothing to do with right um, whatever but then like sort of gets pulled back into stuff you know later. okay yeah because I, I I guess there was some resolution like she gets sort of laid off from the LAPD yeah. and uh and she and Angel kind of come to some sort of terms, you know, they're, they're friendly enough, even if they're not like BFFs or anything, but, um, yeah. but yeah, no, I was definitely expecting more with her. So, um, yeah, yeah well, yeah. sometimes real life interferes with, uh, you know, that's an occupational hazard of TV, I think. Um, yeah especially when it goes on for so many years. Sometimes you just have conflicts, sure. but, um, sure. 
All right. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because I did not even occur to me to talk about her. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel bad that like it didn't occur to me either. Until sort of right <laughs> well, at the when the season goes in so many different directions, sometimes it's hard to remember all the ground that was covered and everything. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks like she started on Law and Order in two thousand one. So okay. that may that may have been right. Uh, you know what she was doing. She was also on a show called Bull, uh, which I hadn't heard of. Um, uh, me neither. So yeah. Anyway, um, neither here nor there. So I, you know, any any other final thoughts on season two? Uh, nope. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if the next season, uh, holds this pattern or whether there's a more, uh, identifiable sort of, you know, central sort of narrative behind it. Um, just out of curiosity more than anything else. So, um, that's my kind of big question, I think, going into the next season, but. Well, um, the good news on that front is you don't have to wait too long <clears throat> yeah. because, uh, as I think we've mentioned, but just we'll reiterate now, we're we're continuing, um, we're continuing to watch in the order that the episodes originally aired, which which brings some confusion about um, more <laughs> so than you you might think, um, because with the beginning of season uh three of angel and season six of buffy they are now airing on different networks Mm -hmm. Um, and so angel actually aired um you know in in the fall of 2001 started airing earlier by a few weeks from buffy Um, so we actually get two episodes of angel before buffy airs but then when buffy airs it airs two episodes in one night um sort of like as one long episode yeah um so you end up having like basically what we're going to end up doing is we're going to watch two episodes of angel you know back to back and then two episodes of buffy back to back and then we'll be back for a little while on the sort of alternating stuff but there's some other um you know uh uh, i almost said mix-ups that's not quite the right word there's some other sort of irregularities uh as the seasons go on um, that we'll, that we'll mention uh, particularly around like mid season stuff where like one show maybe ends a little bit earlier for the winter break than yeah. the other does that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll make sure to mention, uh, you know, upcoming episodes as we do in our blog posts and uh, try to remember to mention them here as well. So for next week, we'll be watching uh, the first episode of season three of angel and the uh next episode of battlestar galactica all right see you then